Welcome to Sound and Vision, conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound and Vision, Brian Alfred. Alex Lambert is an artist, filmmaker, writer, and a lot of other things based out of Brooklyn, New York. Her feature-length documentary, The Mark of Cain, was nominated for an Independent Spirit Award and aired on Nightline. She went on to produce additional segments of Nightline, as well as seven segments for the PBS series Life 360. She's directed and produced two other feature-length documentaries, Bayou Blue, made in collaboration with David McMahon, and Mentor. She is currently directing a feature-length documentary, Goodbye Fat Larry. She's directed numerous shorts and music videos, including You As You Were for the band Shearwater on Sub Pop Records and the animated short Tiffany. Alex has written for a number of magazines, including Stop Smiling, Art Forum, The LA Weekly, and Filmmaker Magazine, to name a few. She wrote Episode 6, Season 3 of Deadwood, A Rich Find, and was staff writer and associate producer on John from Cincinnati. She was also a writer on the video game Syndicate. Alex has exhibited her work in the Venice Biennale, the Museum of Modern Art, the Pompidou Center, and the Quanju Biennial, to name a few. She is the author of four books, Mastering the Melon, The Silencing, Russian Prison Tattoos, and Crime. For theater, she's written and directed Crime USA, which has been staged at Joe's Pub in New York City, and Crime USA Hartford, which was staged at Real Artways. Alex co-founded and is co-artistic director of the Brooklyn International Theater Company with Nelson George and Danny Simmons. She's conceived of and directed two original series for Mocha TV, Crime the Animated Series and Ambience Man. She recently produced a segment for This American Life and Theory of Everything. She received grants from the NEA, NIFA, and the Roberts Foundation. Alex has received residencies and fellowships from the McDowell Colony, Headlands, the Studios of Key West, the McCall Center, the MIT Media Lab in Cambridge, and was the Booth Tarkington Writer-in-Residence at Butler University for the 2014-15 school year. She's currently developing her original animated series, Prison Zoo. She's also working on an upcoming graphic novel to be released on Hat and Beard Press, based on her experiences in courtrooms and her sketches. I visited Alex at her Brooklyn home where she's working on her graphic novel, and we spoke about crime, technology, the environment, indie rock, and a whole lot more. Here's our conversation. Um, but because I think that I do work in an interdisciplinary way, and so um, so I I'm often I often hesitate if people are like asking about what I'm working on, I'll be specific about a project because right. it just feels so much easier yeah, yeah. <laughs> than to try and be like I don't know like most of my projects are driven by the idea, and then the question is what kind of what, should it be a book or a movie or you know a drawing or whatever and um, right. Which I like. I like to work that way, but it does. It does make me less forthcoming about like describing, like just like voluntarily describing myself. Yeah. Because, uh, yeah. How did those ideas come to you? Um, well, I think I mean there's certain things that that are seen through a lot of my work that mm-hmm. have to do with the um, documentary practices and whether it's uh, 
whatever the form is, it's often like there's a documentary type of approach to yeah. the um, subject matter. There's certainly you see crime come up in my work a lot, and um, and so then so then the question like this project that we're looking at here, which is a graphic novel that I've been working on at the um, Brooklyn Criminal Supreme Court. You know, that's courtroom drawing has always been something that interests me because it brings together all of the things that are interesting to me. So on a formal level, you're, you're talking about a drawing practice that has, still has a utilitarian purpose, which you don't see very often because there's uh, no cameras in the courtroom. So it's one of the lone places where that exists. Though. Yeah, that still exists, and I think that's kind of interesting. And um, in terms of just the history of actual drawing and you yeah. know that practice but then also you have a, a space that is open to the public that is that combines theater and writing and and drawing and uh, social justice and criminal justice reform and what's going on in your neighborhood and mm -hmm. human nature and like tension. you know all of this There's stuff so much tension like, right yeah it's yeah. hugely dramatic and um so I'm, I'm actually always surprised that nobody else seems to take advantage of that part of the city to kind of learn about where you are and, and what's around you. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of, you know, when you're on court duty or when you're in those atmospheres, it's not usually a pleasant atmosphere. It's not pleasant, but it's interesting. And, yeah. and I think even just the, like, the general conversation when your friends are up for jury duty is how to get out of it, right? right. That's like the first yeah, thing. Like that a flight. Gonna... Yeah, like I want to get away from that as fast as possible. But it's kind of an amazing responsibility. And yeah. and, uh, and, as, and, all, and part of what you watch when you watch these cases is jury selection. And it's fascinating, at, you know, who's trying to get out of it and who actually wants to do it right. and what, to, you know, what they're saying. And, um, and you would think nowadays with the so many dramas on TV, and in movies that are in that environment, and people are so engaged and like riveted by that stuff. Yeah, and also just with the lack of transparency we're seeing in our government yeah. and in our everything, uh, I think that where can you go to find uh, information? And uh, so also this net neutrality thing that we were talking about, you know, the less that you can count on uh, reliable information from other sources, you have to go find it and right. I think that um, you know I, I used to feel like when when all of the kind of uh, I used to feel like the internet was going to make people more adventurous or more outgoing in terms of because it made because it simplifies so many things potentially yeah GPS I can't find my way anywhere <laughs> it was right, like right. a kind of blessing <laughs> to be able to suddenly find my way somewhere but I also think that, um, but unfortunately, I saw it make students less and less like less outgoing because things were coming into their right. apartment and they were less inclined to go find, see anything or talk to a person in yeah, person. Right. Everything's or like, delivered to their screen, yeah. you know. But it's delivered by somebody who right. has their own ideas and opinions. And I think when you go and sit in on a case or you do something. Uh, that's you're just seeing what's happening there. Yeah. And, and making your own observation. Right. Yeah, I wonder how, you know, that maybe a lot of artists just have this feeling of like in passively um, watching society or looking at the environment or landscape or interactions with people, whatever it is, then going back to the studio 
processing it either super consciously or unconsciously and then creating images out of that. Whereas I think your what you're talking about takes a much more active role. You know, you're you're going there, you're participating in this atmosphere and then it's almost like you're engaging in it in real time. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Especially if you're doing the drawings from the courtroom. Yeah, and, and, and I definitely, and I think that that's, that passivity, that, like, I'm, that's what surprised me, that to see people's passivity kind of ramp up mm-hmm. when I think, when things become easier to not be passive about. Right. Like, you know, why, why are people, but yeah, I guess it's that kind of laziness that it's being delivered to you. Or just, you know, you get, um, I don't know how, how to describe it. I guess you just get busy with all that stuff. You know, there's so much fluff and so much. Yeah, but also you have, I think there's details in the, uh, sitting in a courtroom that you're never going to get from a book yeah. or from a story or from, you know, what kind of outfit was the wife of the defendant wearing? Right. I don't know, it's not in a book. Yeah, <laughs> you have yeah, to yeah. go to the courtroom to find that out. Right. So when did you, when you were young, were you interested in things? Did you, were you kind of like a digger? Like you wanted to dig in and get information? Yeah, I, I mean, I like people, I like listening to people's stories. And um, I definitely was a early, you know, like read probably maybe too, well, not too young, but young-ish. Yeah. <laughs> to be reading like Studs Terkel's work, you know, stuff like that that I was very interested in. Here's a bunch of people just talking about their jobs. That's right. fascinating to me. And um. um and then I think I wrote a bit about an int- introduction to my crime book about uh, just experience of, of crime when I was a kid that I think informed a lot of my interests. Where'd you grow up? I grew up in D.C. Oh, yeah. In like suburban or city? No, in the city. In the city. In, yeah. In how was that? Well, how'd you end up there? <laughs> I mean, I mean, um, just family. Was, I mean, my grandfather was gov- worked in, you know, in the government. government. Yeah. Um, my mother was a teacher. My father was a lawyer. Um, so that informed your childhood, you know, growing up. Well, I think having I had a babysitter who was strangled, and I wrote about that. Um, Whoa, she is still alive, and she's still a friend of mine. Yeah. Um, but that was big as a kid. And how old were you then? I always say I was eight, but I'm not sure. Eight. <laughs> I'm not Eight-ish. Right. <laughs> I, like to, I don't know why eight is worth it. Yeah. I think maybe eight. Yeah. I don't actually know the exact year. But, um, young enough to not remember exactly when it was. So yes, you were pretty young. Yeah, young. Yeah. Young. And, um, so, yeah, there was like the proximity to criminal, kind of violent crimes. And, um, so that's just. But I also have done lots of work that's not about crime. And uh, so it's not. Uh, it's funny because I think people are like sometimes disappointed about my approach to it because it is. Less, I'm less interested in the um, sensational aspects of it and more interested in the kind of mundane aspects of mm-hmm. it. And I think so, Bayou Blue, which is, you know, people are like, well, that's a film about a serial killer. And then people who want a quote unquote serial killer right, film right. will get all excited. And then it's really a portrait of the part of Southeast Louisiana that mm-hmm. was, you know, that is slammed by poverty and racism and drug addiction and all sorts of things. and and that was a way to tell it. Right. But um, it was I mean, society, not just that. And incident. so I think also, yeah, with the courtroom stuff, it's like you know these are just daily cases. These aren't the. Is, I'm not setting in on on the Michael Jackson case. Right. Although I did actually photograph the verdict for the LA <laughs> Weekly. But um, but yeah, you know, it's like um, these are cases that aren't getting any press. 
Well, maybe when you were younger and having that experience with something like crime, just there's a need to know or there's this feeling of like needing information yeah, or I think that's... investigation that was maybe that seed was planted at an early age and that can manifest itself in different ways, whether it's crime related or, you know, I don't know whether it's a band that you're really interested in or what, you know, whatever. Yeah, I think you're right. I whatever mean, it could be, it's just that act of looking past what's presented and, you know, thinking about the second or third or fourth layer. Yeah, I, I absolutely, I think that's, yeah, and I'm also interested, yeah, and also the kind of laborious bureaucracy of a lot of those things. Mm-hmm. And when I did the marriage stuff, I was interested in peeling away those layers like you're talking about. Yeah. And, um, and then what that means, like I wanted all of the paperwork. I didn't want to annul something or, you know, um, it wasn't about... Uh, you know, I wanted the actual marriage certificates, the divorce certificates, the like. You know that the the courthouse in New York is archiving my artwork for me, yeah. <laughs> conveniently. Yeah, yeah. You know, but if you go there, it's all in the basement. It's all entered in there, and you can look up those those marriages. And that was part of what was interesting to me was that right. kind of investigative. What does this say about who we are? Mm-hmm. I was going to say, do you? Do you think, I mean, I'm sure you don't want to categorize it, but do you think your work is just as much investigative journalism as it is artwork? Yeah, I mean, I certainly have a, I certainly have done that kind of work. Yeah. I mean, specific, I mean, even within the <laughs> definition of investigative right, right. journalism, I have done that. So, yeah, yeah that, that's where I think a lot of my work overlaps with itself, even if it might appear outwardly not to. Right. Is that the documentary work or the, whether it's like a straight up, piece of journalism or a documentary or a more uh, conceptual examination of the institution of marriage that's going to end up in a gallery. It's still all of that same, very similar process of interest to me. Yeah. Well, when you were a kid, so how did that, how did you kind of go the direction you went? I mean, in high school, were you studying or were you interested in that kind of way of thinking or were you just a normal student? Like... No, it wasn't a normal... St- I w- so the, the early Studs Terkel thing, I really wanted to start interviewing people. Yeah. <laughs> and I had my little cassette recorder. Yeah. And my babysitter, the one who was strangled, I yeah. wanted to... She was a letter carrier, and I wanted to interview her. And I, I was talking to her recently about it, and I was asking her if she remembered, and she's like, yeah, you... Because I was very quiet growing up, and I didn't talk. And so mm-hmm. she was like, yeah, I was like trying... It was like being interviewed by Garbo. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, push the button, Go. hope she says something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like basically. But then I did leave uh, the school I was going to and go to an art high school. So yeah. I was I was early on, like this, I, I focus on not just an interest in art class, but this is what I want to do and this is what I want to do full time. Right. And what kind of art were you doing then? It was just um, drawing and. No, drawing, sculpture, photography, yeah, conceptual. Everything. I mean, I, I was like 14 when. One of the early artists that, <coughs> excuse me, that I was, um, that I remember seeing work and being like, oh, that could be art, is um, was Chris Burden. So yeah. like that was the kind of stuff I was interested even that early. Did on. you see that in DC in a museum? No, our teacher showed us. Pictures. Oh, okay. But it's, you know, here's the guy who's like in high school. He was, I 
believe it was the piece where he was um, crucified to the VW. Book. Oh yeah. And I was like, okay, this is a whole step up of what <laughs> right, right. is considered art. It's or like, oh, you can do that. I remember seeing the stills of the shot piece where they get shot. And, yeah. And just my mind was like blown. Yeah. So like, that what? was this a, is pretty exciting and pretty young age to yeah. be to be thinking about. Right. And, but that's nice. So you had kind of like a foundation of. You know, art can do this thing that's not the traditional, not just the traditional delivery method of what, you know, ideas and investigation could be. Yeah, and I think that, I mean, to me, it's important. I mean, I, I mean, there's also a lot of, does art have to address these things? Not for everybody, but yeah. for me it does. Right, it fit in with your, it seemed like your early, your personality or what you were, what you enjoyed, you know. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I hesitate with the, to say enjoy because so much yeah. of what I do is so bleak, but it's but I but it's something that is re, it feels rewarding and it feels like it's doing what I or it's what I'm interested in trying to communicate. About. Right, I was gonna say it must feed you in some way. Yes, right? absolutely, definitely. Maybe but not just like having fun. Yeah, no, that's because sometimes I'll be fulfilled. like, oh, the market can I had fun, and I'm like, man, oh, fun's the word. I was yeah. an impression person, <laughs> like that's but yeah, that it is fulfilling. Yeah, I think that's a confliction. I mean, a lot of after I had a kid, you know, I had my son, I started looking at my subject matter and thinking like, like I'd always been interested in, in kind of like a duality of something looking nice but being sinister or kind of like menacing or this underlying current of impending doom or crisis or whatever, but really gift wrapped nicely, you know, that always appealed to me. And then I think after having my son and as he got older, thinking about, oh, one day he's going to probably look at this stuff and so you're going to think like, oh, my dad is kind of like, it looks nice when you're just looking at it, but it's all really like menacing in a way. Which I you like. You know, yeah. Like but that's, that's always been something I've been interested in. Yeah. I and think it's not enjoyment. It's rotten underneath. Yeah, so. right. But it's like addressing these issues in, in some way, you know. And for me, it was always like making it look nice. Or like luring people in, and I grew up around a lot of punk people who were yeah, kind of like <laughs> the opposite of like you know, it's not nice and like showing it with all its kind of like you but know, bumps I think and that, bruises. That opposite is the same. It's it's the opposite, but it's the same. It's the same. In yeah, a sense. it's the you same know, thing. It's like what are you? Uh, whether you're revealing or concealing something, it's like in the interest of expressing something, right? Yeah, definitely. And instead of pushing back immediately, you're just bringing someone in and then pushing back, you know, under the current or something. Yeah. This is a different way to do it, I guess. Yeah. I think I'm maybe somewhere straddling it. Right. Because I'd like, I'm definitely concerned with the formal aspects of it. Yeah. But then I'm not always making them look nice. Yeah. Like but I was saying the tape and everything, like I want that like kind of clunky, like right. I'm doing, I'm, that's intentional. Yeah. <laughs> but it does come after knowing how to not do that. Which I find also right. people like to skip these days. Yeah, yeah. But that's that's a lot of that I see as process. You know, it's like you're showing the viewer right. your hand and your thinking method through the materials you're using. Yes. So definitely. it doesn't seem like just abject, like you know, this is just made crappy or something. It just feels like no, an I agree, honest but process. No, I, but I'm saying, but I think that that you know, don't you think that applies also to punk music? Like oh yeah. There's an intentionality. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I'm so sure some of those guys knew more than three power chords. <laughs> one of them. Somewhere <laughs> there was some one. Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> but maybe not all. Yeah, anyway. Right. 
or maybe they had more sensibility than just you know that one. Or they were, or they didn't know them, but they they knew why they didn't know them. Right, right. Yeah, why but I mean the Ramones looked pretty cool. You know, they they had the it was a fuller package than just like that. Yeah, those power chords or whatever. Oh. Yeah, but I think that's um, thinking about your process and the relationship to like how much you give the viewer and how much you pull back. I'm sure that's a big part of your work, right? Yeah, it's it's big. Yeah. And uh, I always, yeah, I always do want to think about how my, what do people need to see? Yeah, like how much do you give? Yeah. So when you were in high school, or when you were in that art high school, did you think to yourself, I'm going to continue on and make art? Or yeah. what was your plan at that point? What were you thinking about as you were ready to graduate? I mean, I moved up to, I moved to New York when mm-hmm. I was, and I mean, kind of fully, like, as opposed to still going home for months at a time. Right, <laughs> I was just right. like, moved, moved to New York, had an apartment, went to school. Yeah. Um, uh, and yeah, that was the intent was to make, be an artist, what that means specifically. I mean, it was, I was always doing the kind of intermediate, interdisciplinary. So I majored in sculpture, but that was because you had to, major in sculpture if you wanted to do anything into it was like sculpture painting photography you know so right. any of the others were specifically you're going to paint yeah uh, sculpture was the only one where you could make videos or make you know like do installation art or do and so i wasn't making super traditional sculptures although i know how to and yeah. <laughs> like you know have made elements like cast bronze elements of yeah. things but usually there's some kind of conceptual idea behind it it's funny how back then even like when it, when I was in school, sculpture was like the interdisciplinary f- safe zone. Yeah, it was because it was. I mean, now I teach interdisciplinary courses, but mm-hmm. there wasn't anything like that. It was right. just like, well, I guess you're going to take sculpture. Yeah, and now it's like <laughs> totally supported. You know, yeah. they but broke down those really walls. pretty recently. Yeah, that's true. Because I I started teaching really young, and I, it's only in the past less than ten years that there's been. It's technology, right? It is, yeah, which is which is the exciting side of it, and yeah. it and when I was like, this is gonna propel people into a more uh, into a kind of bolder space, which it did not. <laughs> but that was my hope for it. That was my misconceived, yeah, yeah. my my very wrong view of the future back then. Well, how do you think it? <laughs> that's a bummer. How did you? <laughs> how do you think it manifested itself? Just as another just, strict canon of like digital art or. I just, well, I, I guess less my, I, I don't have a complaint about the, the new ways in which people are trying to figure out how to use it as an art form. It's more mm-hmm. what I was talking about before, about the ways in which it was, it's, I thought would make people more um, interested in kind of actively being involved in the world. Right. Because suddenly you could, the means by which to do that, like whether you speak the language or know how to get around, it was all made easier yeah but but i feel like with students i what what i see instead is that because all of that can come to them they're not actually interested in leaving their apartment or talking i was teaching in indiana and i had students there were students outside protesting the indiana that i use um poor Inclusion of people of color into yeah. their in their you know uh, they have like I don't know four percent I don't want to get the percentages wrong and then everyone gets mad at me but right, right. I had a student who was who was 
basically doing a, a piece that was against that protest, right? Here's these students who are walking by the window. They're about less than 20 feet away. And yeah. so I'm like, have you talked to any of them? And he's like, no, this is all information from the website promoting this. And I'm like, they're, they're right there. If yeah. you want to make something about this, you need to talk to them. Yeah. And that seemed to him to be a very, like, he was annoyed with me for, like, that seemed unfair to him. And I'm right. like, you got to be kidding me. You know, you got to go talk to You can't make this in this classroom. And then say that your entire research was to look at their website, and the, which basically just offers statistics and nothing human. Right. Well, that's a bad side effect of everything being mediated. Yeah. You know? and so that, that's I mean, people will I text have. each other from the other side of the room now. <laughs> I do that. <laughs> that's a, that's You're a, that's part a, of the problem. Well, or arguably, I just don't. I don't like a lot of talking. Yeah. I do like the quiet communication. Right. <laughs> but you know what I mean. Like every, if you're experiencing everything through that digital lens, yes, that is, then it it's almost like that becomes the comfortable way of communicating. That's true. You know? And I and, and and definitely I'll be with people who are like looking at their phone for directions, and I'm like, oh, that street's right there. Like, how do you know that? Well, there was a street There's sign. There's a sign. <laughs> Remember those? That old school thing with right. a sign with an arrow. saying what the street is named, and we were standing here, right. so I just looked up. <laughs> I've done that, too. <laughs> I know, of course. I mean, that's, I'm guilty of all of these yeah. things, but I, it's just not what I expected. And, well, here's the thing, not to you know, assume your age, but we grew up with... No, I'm older than you. We, we grew up with maps. Yeah, no, maps. Like paper maps that we had to take the out Thomas of the glove guide. compartment. I remember the Thomas guy. And try to find, how in the hell did we find where we were going? You know, I used to drive across the country. Yeah, and three times. Yeah. No, with maps. No, with maps. No phone, no nothing. Getting terribly lost, like really far off. But that was me. kind of also great. Yeah, no, it was. I mean, it's not great. I mean, I think that, you know, there's certain, it's not great when you're in danger. Or, right. You know, but... But yeah, there was a lot of exploring and finding your way around and figuring out how to do things without the yeah, accidental and yeah. exploring, <laughs> which I quite like. You know, I like yeah. that. But nowadays, I don't. I mean, that just won't exist. No, even your news is not accidental. You're you're going and finding the news that you want. I know. Curated news. That's what it is, it's and you're not. There, there is no more like when I was doing news stuff. Uh, you know, I, Mark of Kane, we did an episode of Nightline on it. That mm-hmm. was like Friday night. They had, they would always dedicate episodes to stories that you're not going to know about. Like, yeah. we're just going to present this thing about this subject that you probably have no idea about. But the way we are aggregating news now, we're only getting stuff that we want, right. that we're going after. Yeah. I and know. That's it's a problem. I don't think the full effect of that is going to hit us for a while. That's, I agree with you. But and it's, it's gonna hit us. <laughs> and I, I don't. I don't want to think that I'm just getting older and I'm getting grumpy about the way things are changing. But it's changing. I am. <laughs> yeah, me, too. me too. But I think with good cause. Yeah, it's changing so fast. You know that it's. So like I'm. I don't want to talk about what I'm doing that no, much. Please. But I'm. I've been really interested in the book Future Shock. You know, seventy mm-hmm. two um, Toffler. So my next show in here in New York is based on that book loosely. Okay. And the work is based on that. But in that book, there's so many prophetic statements about how information is going to overwhelm us. And the, the major thing that is addressed is how it used to take two or three generations for some sort of cultural or uh, some sort of evolution to happen. But now it's like three to four in a generation. And how do humans adapt to that speed of evolution like even that is a cultural evolution yeah. of like 
how news now is not, I mean, it's always been broadcast to us, yeah. but now it's being curated and, and kind of opinionated towards us more directly. And how does that affect people? Yeah, and I, I think, you know, that speed that you're talking about with, this is the first, we're the first ones to live through that speed of something changing. So, yeah, you've had previous changes in technology where you're suddenly have TV or right. radio or whatever, but it didn't have the same level of completely altering how you live right. at such a fast speed. Pace. I mean, we went from like Pong to virtual reality. I know. That's a big arc. Last game that I played. <laughs> the last video <laughs> game that I played was Pong. So, <laughs> no. Yeah, it's a huge arc. And yeah. I think, and it's, and I do, I, I don't think we have any idea how it's going to affect us. And I don't think it's really going to be great when, right. we, when we start to see how it is affecting us. Well, one way. Because I can, think we have collective PTSD, among other things, because yeah. we can't keep up with all you can't, can't process that's future shock stuff. that's what it was about you know yeah. but i think one way that we're seeing how it's manifesting itself is when you're talking to that student and he's irritated because he's like what do you what do you mean like it's to a certain generation upcoming that's not even going to like enter the radar of right but that's and that's why i mean so the fact that he's irritated has many layers of problems to me <laughs> because that is true. I also think that it's that there's an entitlement there that's like oh, insane. Yeah. Like this kind of students only in the past, again, like I would say in the past less than ten years, being like, why did I get an A minus? I deserve an A. I mean, I would never have. I like, I mean, like, are you out of your the mind? It's just this yeah, kind yeah. of real, like, different um, ideas about just education in general and like what why are you even in art school mm -hmm. art school specifically which I think is different from you know other subjects in that suddenly you have to have a master's degree or you have to have, you know all of this stuff is very uh, problematic to me yeah <laughs> and um, so yeah I mean I, I think that that but I think that's absolutely a big part of it it's like why is she she doesn't understand all the new ways and it's like yeah no maybe not <laughs> but yeah. here's what i do understand we need to have this conversation right because that's part of communicating and they're not having it and that's they're choosing communication as a major as a path yeah. and making artwork is communicating and yeah i mean if you're going to make artwork about a protest about the racial makeup of your university then you have to have that conversation. Yeah, you if you want to make an abstract painting that's just red on a canvas, then make your argument for that from a formalist point of view. Right. But don't come in with the subject matter that is inherently a social justice issue yeah. and refuse to talk to somebody. They don't even want to dip their toes in the pool. Yeah, you know? they don't even want to do that. Yeah, but I, I think that's just a product of experiencing things from you know that mediated layer all the time. Mm -hmm. And it's uh, so pervasive. Like it's living your life under the microscope of social media. And, and just what you were talking about, like just the fact that I like freaked out because I was like, I'm not going to be able to get home because my phone's not working <laughs> from Los Angeles. Like right. that's, you know, it's kind of a seemingly small or ridiculous thing. I would have walked down to the corner and gotten on a payphone yeah. or whatever, you know, I right. mean, there are ways. But, um, but it's also like illuminating to like how much you're like, oh, I, I'm, I'm completely helpless. Yeah. I don't know if you would describe that as evolution or devolution. Or <laughs> <laughs> it's it, dependency. Yeah, dependency. I guess would be the yeah. best word. And then also, you know, your phone is spying on you. Everything's spying on you. And so it's like not right. just dependency, but it's like 
It's interactive. Uh, it's an accidental trust right. <laughs> that you shouldn't probably be in viewing the world with. Yeah, but my the way the way I've been thinking about it is I don't think we're um, we can you can't go back. No, well, I mean you can't until you're forced to until you know. Right, which is the way we do things. That is the especially way we do here things. in America. It's like. You wait until it totally hits the fan, and then you address and the problem. And then you're like, oh my God, there's fan blades of shit going all over the room. Right, right. How am I ever going to do this? Right. Like that's, the when, water, that's when we right. decide to clean things up. <laughs> to go. We better do something. Yeah, like the water is like engulfing like coastlines, and you know, there's a hole in the ozone. And it's like, oh, maybe we should do something about this. No, I mean, climate, climate change is one of the perfect examples. We're, yeah. we're pretty much talking about it when it's already too late. I, mean, well, I don't want to be the bearer of bad news, guys. But <laughs> we're late to be yeah. having this, like, to be where we are with that conversation. Right. Yeah, and it will wait until it totally, you know, crashes before we and try. We, to yeah, and when it. something's that big, crashing yeah. is not a. You can't solve it then. Maybe that's human nature, though. Maybe we're just destined to. Be man, this is going down a dark path. Hey, you know, welcome, welcome to my sunny kitchen. We can what talk happened about when I walked in here. <laughs> I love. I had a great coffee. I was in a really chipper mood. Holidays are coming up. <laughs> it's gotten dark. I'm sorry. Merry no, I'm Christmas, kidding. everyone. Um, Just kidding. No, that is my general. <laughs> um, there's stuff I like that's funner, like fuzzy animals. Yeah. <laughs> I watch a lot of animal videos. <laughs> that's a good counterbalance to this, the courtroom and all that stuff. I do know other people who. This focus is, you know, dark criminal who we regularly send each other like little animal videos. Oh, yeah, <laughs> like like it, it's not animal a, gifts. It of seems like, like funny a, there is a counter thing to all the darkness. Right, right. That's always a balance, right? <laughs> yeah. So, how did you navigate school? And I mean, were they receptive of sort of interdisciplinary approach in sculpture, or did you find yourself just getting through, sneaking in your stuff that you wanted to do outside of sculpture, or I how did it work out? I think they were pretty open to, if you were in sculpture, that you could do weird, I did a lot of weird, conceptually driven, multimedia things. Yeah. Um, so Your teachers were okay. into it? The teachers were into it. Ish. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, the conversation these days has been more about the sexism in school, at art schools. Yeah. Um, and everywhere, I mean. And that, I, yeah, there was a lot of, like, I was just, only recently, I haven't, it's not something I've thought about a lot, um, but recently, because of everything that's been in the news, there's been a lot of talk about that, and most of the teachers were sleeping with the female students, oh, or, or attempting to, and that's what I've continued to see over the years, and um, so I think that had more to do with your relative, like, relative, like, you can what you were working on yeah. than the actual content of what uh, you were working on. Um, but yeah, no, I was, I definitely was allowed to do interdisciplinary stuff. Mm -hmm. And then when you graduated, what was your plan? What well, you I was really lucky because I, I really started showing right out of school. Yeah. Um, and so what year, what year did you get out? 90, 1990. Yeah. And you were living in? I lived in, well, I lived my th the first three years in Chelsea, but by the time I graduated, I had moved to Greenpoint when it was like nobody, just me and a couple of drunk 
Polish guys. Yeah, I was going to say. Polish. <laughs> what was uh, Chelsea like back in early 90s? It was also not what it is now. It's just industrial, is, like cab, like places where they were fixing cars and garages and stuff yeah, like that. I yeah, I lived right across from the Chelsea Hotel. It was oh, still yeah. a, It was still... It was still a hotel that housed artists for free if you, in exchange for artwork. Right. Um, it's such a cool thing. I yeah, think the barter system is really wonderful. I know. It was they so sad when they stopped doing that because it really saved a lot of artists' yeah. careers. To and it's such a great so. exchange. Like, it's such an amazing thing to do. I mean, one of my favorite things to do in life is trade artwork with other artists. I know. It's, I love it. It's and like a gift. It. Yeah, it's really Yeah, it's you can beautiful. build this, and it's building a collection that's so personal, you know, mm-hmm. it means something. Well, we should do that. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I mean, so Chelsea was different, Soho was different, Brooklyn was different. Yeah. But, I mean, I'm not, I'm not interested so much in the whole walk down nostalgia lane, like right. in, in the sense, because I think it was certainly, it was certainly not easy every day, but... Yeah. Um, but I do think that, that I miss, you know, when you came in here, I was like, You're, are you talking to all artists who have studios? <laughs> like, I miss the kind of um, ability that a broke artist would have to live in New York City, which right. no longer exists. It's gone. I mean, it's really hard. Yeah. So and I think younger artists who are interesting and excited and want to be involved in things are not moving to New York. Right. And that's a shame to me. I mean, it's a shame to me because I live here and I yeah. want them to be around. Right. Yeah. yeah, and they can't. It's... You know, when you have students who are asking about the process of going to New York, I mean, when I moved to New York, it wasn't, you know, it was late 90s, but it wasn't super cheap, but I mean, you could do it. Yeah, now, I don't yeah. even know how the hell, how, how Yeah, I moved to it? New York in 86 and, and... With the debt that they have now, too. Yeah, that's, I mean, which is a huge problem. And what happens? I mean, do you have any solutions for that on what happens to artist communities when they're, you know, pushed... It's not even like there's anywhere there's near. nowhere. Yeah, I mean, nobody's figured out where. The, it's not like anyone's. It's not like, but where they're going is this place. It's like right. a kind of scattered. And people are trying, and you'll see like a spike in LA's art world, but then you'll also see it go down. Like yeah. it doesn't. I don't feel like there's been a replacement city. And um, yeah. because then you would have to get so many people on the same page of being like. Oh no! This is the place that we yeah. all need to go and the to. The ones that are the cities that get proposed in that way, like Detroit, uh, have other problems. Which right. There's, there's no actual city. You know, like yeah. you, you have this great, you have these available houses, and and so the idea of a bunch of broke artists kind of taking over a part of the city is exciting. But then what that what's actually involved right. is much more complicated. And because you don't have a grocery store or a school or yeah. <laughs> like a neighborhood to right. drop into. Yeah. And plus, you do or most artists do want a big viewing, informed viewing public for their work. Mm-hmm. You know, we could all move somewhere like, you know, yeah. like uh, Pittsburgh where I'm from is super cheap, you know, and you can go there, but there's not a huge viewing audience that's going to be really compelled by yeah, Endlessly my friends who are art. not in the art world. <laughs> they're yeah. like, why did you move to, and they name wherever they live that their mortgage is like $100 a right. month or whatever. And yeah. But they live in rural wherever, and they have no, you know, it's great because they can raise their kids and do, but they're not trying to have a career as an artist. And yeah. all I would do if I lived there is spend my whole time and money flying out of there right. to be somewhere else. Yeah. Or a Target. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the movie theater and Target. And movie theater. Oh, both are right near here. <laughs> I'm very yeah. happy about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. 
I do go to the movies. I am excited about Movie Pass. This is my new. What's excitement. is that an online? It's an app that's like nine ninety nine a month. You can see as ma- why am I doing an ad for them? <laughs> you can see as many movies. Sponsored by I have no sponsors, so but you can. Yeah, get Movie Pass to sponsor you. I should. And Wait, I should so you pay fun. flat? You play a fat. You pay that, pay a flat, and then you can right? see you up can to see. a movie a day every day. What? So I've seen like four. I see. I mean, it ha- you have to like. I called my sister, and she was like, "I don't see a movie a month. You have to see one movie a month for it to be." I know people who are big but movie fans. I've seen fans like five see movies already, and I still have ten days to go. But you're a big movie fan. I am, yeah. yeah. And I prefer to see them in the theater, but I don't always want to spend fifteen dollars to do it. Right. Well, you figured out the solution to that. <laughs> I'm sure they'll, they'll figure out. It's not do you watch a lot of stuff on the computer too, like on Netflix or things like that? I do. I mean, I have to watch so much stuff that, mm-hmm. or maybe I don't have to, but I feel like I have to. <laughs> right. That um, inevitably, a lot of it will be watched. On my computer, yeah. but I don't have a TV. I don't want one, right. and I'd you don't need one see nowadays. A film in the theater if I can. Yeah. Well, when did you start doing film? Like when? As early as I was doing, because I was there was always these video components to what I was doing. Right. And then I started making film. My first idea. Yeah, what was your first? Well, film I mean, film? I made this kind of. It was meant to be a feature. It did not end up being a feature, but it was a it was a girl kind of mock rock doc, like mm-hmm. a girl spinal tap. <laughs> so oh, it's nice. called Platypussy, and we did cut a series of shorts that we some of them aired on MTV, some of them uh-huh. were in galleries, um, and that was young. I guess I was twenty. Six, were they friends of yours who were playing the Yeah, the a lot of, and a lot of the musicians played themselves. So yeah. Jay Robbins, Day, Damon Locks, people from D.C. that I knew oh, from, wow, Damon. from high school. We grew up together. Yeah. We went to the same high school so program. Um, so they are all in it as themselves, right. <laughs> which is fun to see this many, 25 years later. <laughs> but, um, but wait, it was an all-girl band? Yeah, but they play themselves as, like, you know, Musicians who knew the band and talk about them. Oh, the only fictionalized was like myself and the and Juliet Goodwin and Alyssa Sarfati who played the other two band members. Uh-huh. We were the only kind of fictional part of it, and then our parents kind of played our parents and our friends played our friends. Yeah, but then we were just, you know, we made the album first. And is it online? The it's video? not, but I think I could give you. Do I have them here? I have them. I can send you some secret links. Okay. And uh, I have the album. I have, I'll give you. Do you have a way to play a, a, a vinyl? Vinyl. Do you have a record player? I got rid of my record player. I um. Yeah, we made we made vinyl. Vinyl's nice. I used to have a huge vinyl collection, but when I moved to the city, I, I just couldn't do it. I, I didn't have enough space. It, was, it got destroyed in a raw sewage flood. Oh, that's the worst possible way. It's pretty gross. <laughs> I mean, vinyl gets funky anyways, you know? Yeah, that was the end of my record collection. I was like, okay. Oh, boy. So, yeah, I don't have vinyl. And then I keep thinking about, oh, I should get a record player, because I think now it would be nice to have that in there. Yeah, Except totally then you got to get records. You should get a gramophone. Like, I know, you know, but it's like, then you have to get records. That's true. Then you gotta... I have one. I have that one. <laughs> <laughs> one record. Um, so what, you're, you've been tied together to music for a while, right? How did that start, your interests? I mean... I have no musical ability, <laughs> but I, I, I like music, yeah, and I always was... Um, 
friends with musicians. Yeah, right? friends with musicians going to going to nine thirty. Right. Black Cat. Space, Black Cat, all of those places. That's where I was, you know, doing. So I was always listening to music and. Yeah. And I definitely am interested in other like since the platypusy thing. We I made an album with my friend um, that that is. I sampled all of this, the sounds in the boxing gym that I go to, uh-huh. and we used those, and and the and the recorded story of of my boxing coach to make this album. So, where Travis has the musical knowledge, I knew what I wanted to try and do, and I and which again to me has this documentary approach. You know, mm-hmm. it's like it's just the sounds that I was hearing when I would go to the boxing gym. Um, and so together, so together we were able to co- collaborate to make that. So I think my, I'm for sure interested in music. I don't, I'm not, I don't, I'm tone deaf and I love singing and people tell me to shut up. <laughs> so in that way I don't have the, you know, natural kind of musical abilities, but, um, but I've always been involved in, in other ways. Yeah. And incorporated it into your work too, mm-hmm. right? I mean, in that. Those are great titles, by the way. <laughs> There's a running after deer is what he used to always say. I was working for, I was writing for HBO at the time, and he would always say, "I want you to make a show called Running After Deer." And I just was like, "I don't know what he's talking about. <laughs> like, what is this show?" And he thought, and I finally asked him, and he was like, "It would be about hunting in different communities around the world." And I was like, "Oh, that's great." <laughs> That's that would actually be a great show, <laughs> but I did not know. That's what you were talking about when you right. said Running, Running After, after deer. deer. Yeah, it's a nice title. It's a good title. Yeah, those are good song names, too. So wait, is this like traditional? I mean, you're using samples from the gym? From the gym, yeah. So and then I there's sample. music on top of that? And then there's music with mm-hmm. traditional instruments right. and stuff. And then there's also Sammy's story. He's talking. Yeah. And he's he's pretty charismatic when he talks, but it's not singing. It's him talking. Right. Man, you've done so many different things. It's hard to keep. It's hard to keep track. What are some other things you did after school that were doing film? You're doing film is heavily what I've things like this. Um, and uh, it sounds like you've done so many other like job jobs of like different. Have I done other job like jobs? writing for HBO? Yes, I did that. Or writing <laughs> content for. Bag companies, or you know, whatever. It seems like you've done a lot of different things. <laughs> the HBO thing, yeah, that was great um, to to do that. But yeah, it came kind of non. I, I'm always falling into things in a like not traditional way, and so. Um, That's exciting. It is exciting. It's not like the path of. It's very much not the path of anybody else. Well, you know, there's the art, especially with art school. It's like, okay, here's what you're gonna do. Yeah. You're gonna get your degree. You're gonna try to show work and sell it and get a studio and live off that maybe teach down the line or you know it's like mm-hmm. one of three things yep. and um i mean I, personally i tried to do a lot of different things outside of that yeah. you know working with like digital things or film festivals or animation all that stuff has afforded me the ability to work outside yeah. of the traditional framework of four white walls and Which i find I like. that really exciting yeah i like it because i don't i i like making art Inside the four walls is too, but yeah. it's like a, it's just one possibility. And right. I, I it seems like shutting a lot of doors to not pursue other things. Definitely, yeah. But I think some uh, 
for I'm sure for a lot of people that's all they really know. Yeah. Or it's all they've been told of like and here's the within path. each group that's true. So like the other TV writers are like they came to television to want to write for TV and to want to be staffed on television shows. Right. So it's kind of a, a it's a it's a gift but also a curse because you're because you you have this opportunity to um, to work in a number of different ways, but then you are also considered the person right. who is not you know towing the line in a kind of normal traditional and what I feel often conservative way. Yeah, yeah, but it's funny because if you look at a lot of the people who are really talented who are kind of like next level. I mean, for some reason, like Pharrell pops into my head. Mm -hmm. You know, musician, producer, clothing. Like, he's doing so many different things. Yeah, definitely more and more. It's accepted more and more. Right. But it's a tough... It used to not be that way. No, it used to not be. And it used to be like a... That taints I think, again, especially especially if you're a woman, it's like, oh, she's a dilettante. Or she's not, you know, she's kind of not... Dabbling. Yeah, and I'm like, well, like I said, I was young when I moved here. That's, you know over 30 years yeah <laughs> and always work hard and so it seems like I think yeah often people are like well these I get these different things what is it but you know they're kind of slowly happening at the same time and mm-hmm. then it's almost like unbundling or whatever yeah, yeah. you know it's like and then you get that and that and that right. in an organized way yeah but looking back but on it but it's like it's... oh but they're all kind of intertwined in the beginning like, right. or coming out of something I mean I would go to the boxing gym because that's where I would work out it's mm-hmm. not a lot of people I know work out it's not like that weird of a thing right. but it just happens that I find that uh, environment really creatively stimulating yeah. and so I'm like let's do something with this you know Yeah. but it's not so much of a like how did you find time to do that I just got the um, audio guy from Deadwood to come with me one day right. to record it <laughs> yeah basically and yeah. then I called Travis, and I was like, hey, I want to do this thing. And he was like, I like that idea. So, Well, a gifted collaborator knows how to, coll- exactly. how to collaborate. I mean, that's you can use that as a real strength, you know, yeah, like working I, with the right people. That and so for me, that's an p- exciting part of it, because I am introverted, and I don't socialize or like crowds or do things that normal people do. Right, right. And so when I'm working with other people who I respect and admire, it's that's, a, that's great. I get to see people every day. It's a way you can get that out of your system of kind of like working. Yes, I like, I mean, I, you know, when you said, I was like, great, like I'm going to have a conversation with yeah, another yeah. artist. It's <laughs> nice. It's like, you know, otherwise I'll just be in there for five right. days. Right. Working <laughs> Maybe on Maybe exchange the... two sentences with the guy at the deli. <laughs> That's about it. <laughs> well, it is a nice place. You don't really need to leave, you know. No, and, and I like that. I'm, you know, I, I, I enjoy spending time by myself, but I, but there is a built-in social element to a lot of my artwork that yeah. I like. Yeah. I, I totally found that early playing music because, you know, when you make art, it's basically, usually, it's you in a room yeah. with your thoughts and your images. Which can get a little yeah. squirrely for yeah. me. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh. Right. But playing music, it's like you're, you're forced to socialize. Even if you're not, like, talking or hanging out that yeah. much, you're playing and there's, like, a communication going on that's, influencing the way that you're reacting creatively too which is a really nice thing i think every artist who works by themselves should occasionally throw in some sort of collaboration yeah i think it's huge in terms of how you relate and also and going back to the other thing it's like okay it's different than the dynamic of whether you're talking to a subject like you know okay i want to do something on this protest i need to talk to the people who are protesting but it is 
but it is the, it does it is the same in the sense of like I need to interact with other humans right. <laughs> like that's part of what the work is yeah and also so you don't become a, like socially inept well I'm a bit, <laughs> I'm a bit socially inept <laughs> but yeah it's too much it's too much right. to be <laughs> not all the time not all the alone time alone with your thoughts it can get you know a little yeah. um. <laughs> anyway <laughs> like when all my friends who live by themselves we all talk to ourselves like out loud mm-hmm. yeah, only only recently discovered that my friends who don't live by themselves are like find that disturbing. <laughs> right. <laughs> I was like, yeah, everyone doesn't does everyone that. do that? It's like not really. Yeah, but forced with you know yeah, you're just hours like, and hours on your own. Yeah, yeah. I guess I'm forced to listen to myself. The neighbors are like her roommate, really loud. I have thought of that before too. <laughs> no, I well, I had a um, well, maybe this isn't good for the podcast. <laughs> I had a seizure this year because I had some health problems. Uh, they make this weird, like, seal sound. Oh, really? And I was like, I wonder if the neighbors are listening. Oh, they're hearing that? Because I was like, that's going to be weird. But you don't have to. You can let them know if you ever hear anyway. odd noises. Come check on me. Uh, or don't. Or don't, yeah. But anyway, yeah, uh, I like the, I like the, um, the built-in, like, human interaction yeah yeah definitely so the project you're working on now it's going to manifest itself into a final graphic novel yeah it'll have two the graphic novel will have the world art house edition which will be Mm -hmm. with the graphic prints with the hand with the watercolors um but that'll be a small limited edition and limited number of pages right and then there'll be an unlimited one that'll be with hat and beard and that's like a proper book <laughs> like yeah. a hundred, I don't know how many pages but like a normal um, and then and then I'll, I'll organize some kind of exhibition around it that will have the prints but also I think to your point I think some uh, indi- I don't know what yet but of the process and what the process is making it yeah and uh, when you're working on something like that that's so Kind of narratively specific, and there, it's this experiential. Like you're going there, you're drawing, you're coming back, you're you're mapping it out. Do you listen to music, podcasts, TV, or or do you have to go into total silence? It depends on what part of it I'm doing. I mean, obviously, um, you're afforded total, you're afforded a nice environment in the courtroom because right. you, nobody. It's you know, quiet. Um, when I'm, if I'm coloring like a lot of the I'm a really I'm kind of weird about some of the like I always am using thin markers even if I'm basically coloring a big because I like the line but that takes a long time and that's that's not particularly um, doesn't need my brain attention so much Mm -hmm. it's kind of meditative and then I'll for sure listen to things I might even have a movie on like um, podcast music what kind of music are you into these days you know, I listen to a lot of music. I'm very um, eclectic in what I listen to, and often it has to do with what is what I'm working on. Yeah. There's no, there's only a few categories of music I don't <laughs> listen to ever, which would be the most popular music. Like I don't think I could name a right. Taylor. I can't even think of her last name. Taylor Swift. <laughs> I can't even name a song of hers. Um, and then I'm not. I, I've never been. I don't listen to country music, mm-hmm. but. In terms of everything else, I would say there's a lot of, like right now, I'm 
you know, I also have written these plays from these verbatim crime um, interviews. And so, and each time that I've staged it, I've worked with musicians. Mm -hmm. And that has changed a lot, what kind of musicians and, and for which version of the play. And I'm working with a friend of mine, um, Caitlin Smith, who's a composer now, and we're going to do a version that has, uh, that incorporates classical instruments, which I haven't done before, but I've wanted to do. And so mm -hmm. I'm listening to classical music in a way that probably a month ago I would have said something different. But, yeah. you know, yeah, there's only the only two categories that I almost never... Although even that, like, I've written characters where I'm like, oh, I need to know what Kendrick Lamar or somebody I like, right. don't care about is singing, you know, yeah. because I'm putting it in the script. So yeah. there's a lot of stuff like that. Well, and you grew up in a fertile... Like indie rock, and, kind of yeah, punk. and around a lot of those musicians. Punk so. scene. Um, yeah, so did you like sure. used to go see the makeup and you know all mm -hmm. those bands? All of those bands. Man, that was that was quite a scene. That it was, was a pretty good, great. It was, it was really a good time great. for music there. It was great. Yeah. There was a lot of ego and a lot of kind of politic to it, I think. But I guess that was part of the the package, you know. Yeah, I mean, I think that, and also the early politics I actually appreciate it I feel like a lot of the politics have gone out of yeah. music where yeah. I would like to still see that right <laughs> still yeah. see it um, but yeah I mean I, I um, that's always exciting for me and especially like when Caitlin reads the script and then comes to me with her ideas trying to follow the same kind of how does this how do how do these ideas manifest musically in this mm -hmm. project? Then that's also exciting for me because she she has huge knowledge that I don't have. You know? Yeah. So. And if you could do if you could take on kind of any subject or any film project that were offered to you tomorrow, are there any things that you have that you really want to make? Well, I've been developing this fully stop motion animation project that was ready to be and then kind of got dry if it's long but um and that's still like ready to be finished yeah and so i'm is I'm that something like you've that. sketched out or is it the, yeah, just I have a the full idea three minute proof of concept oh yeah happy to send you oh, but nice. it's a yeah it's a claymation it's about criminal justice reform and animals in prison it's called prison zoo <laughs> and, and claymation uh, wow and i will be finishing it <laughs> <laughs> so that's coming in the future it is coming yeah just slower than I would. Well, that's a process, hope. right? That whole. It's very frustrating. Yeah. That side of it. But it um, is. It is the opposite of just going down the street, buying a canvas, and hanging yeah. out in the room and making an image. And know? there's some. I mean, for, you know, stop motion animation is so labor intensive that trying to do it free of support is almost impossible. Difficult. Yeah. It took us forever to get that first part done. I've done a couple of rotoscoping animations that yeah. are short. You know, they're like three minutes. Yeah, and it's you know it's still, four thousand, four to five thousand drawings, and it takes forever. So when you're talking about like a feature or a TV show or something, I can't imagine. Like you now, you know why? I used to wonder like with things like Pixar, you know, you hear stories about it. It took two years to make the movie, and there's like forty animators. Right. I'm like, how does it take that long? You know, but then when you do animation, you're like, oh, I get. Yes. <laughs> and then the 3D is even more time-consuming than the 2D. So. Can't imagine. I always just like to find the most impossible thing and be like, oh, I'll do that. Right, right. That's <laughs> what I want to try to get accomplished. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, why? 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 Can't I just be happy with yeah. the like, line drawing? 
you know. Well, the graphic novel's a great thing because it's going to be such a nice kind of thing, like as physical object. Hopefully, I object love books as objects. And I know, I love them too. I'm so sad that they're also going away. I know, it's sad. People I mean, don't read anymore. Like thing, you know. Yeah, although I do have a lot of students who love manga and anime and, you know, that stuff. So yeah, I, do I think it's, it might be like a, a transition a format that people can still get into, like graphic novels or, you know. Yeah. I mean, it's image and, yeah, it and is, text yeah. I mean, in a beautiful like way. So when it's done right, it's there's nothing like it. I think it, it creates a mood that even, you know, translating that into a video, it doesn't capture I, yeah, I or it defines it too much. And there's something about holding that book and, like, you interacting in that story that's it's kind of magical. I want my things. Like, I, even music, I'm like, stop fucking iTunes and we are not, we don't get along. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, stop. <laughs> Putting shit in clouds. I don't want my stuff. Right. <laughs> I, want, I want like a. I want my. Tangible I want records object. or tapes or yeah. you know D, DVDs or whatever it is. A tracks. I'm against the cloud. Yeah. That is a like old person. Th- I'm just like I don't get it, so I'm against it. What's that? A <laughs> track. Oh, the cloud. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which I I do recognize that as just my stubbornness. Right. Yeah, I mean I fought Spotify for a while, but now I'm I, I'm full on. I I often tumble into the other side of things when right. I finally figure out how to use it. When I found out that my old band was on there and I don't see us, not that we would make any money off yeah. of it, but just no one asked us or, you know, I and know. that music's up there and someone's making like, you know, $5 off of it. It's like, screw it. I'm going to listen to it too because I'm not getting paid for it. My right. music's on there. I mean, yeah, no, I mean, my stuff is all over the place. For it, that. I it's, see nothing. Yeah. It's not fair for, you know, artists not getting but I, you know, I also, I'm guilty of using Amazon still. You know, all sorts of things that I shouldn't be doing. But it's one, it's one day straight, at a time. It's not straight edge anymore. <laughs> one foot in front of the other. Right. Yeah, it's difficult. So um, when can people, well, two things. Mm-hmm. So how can people who are listening see your work? Like where would you direct them to see what you're up to? I mean, my feature documentaries are online. They're iTunes. Online. Okay. <laughs> they are on like, Amazon, <laughs> iTunes, and you know, uh, so those are those are findable. Um, right. uh, Available then, on platforms I can't stand. <laughs> <laughs> well, you. <laughs> I just am recognizing that right. those are issues there. <laughs> but um, and then. I don't know. It's kind of scattered across. My, the detritus of my life is scattered across the internet, I guess. It's Google. Uh, but um, the, the graphic novel will come out about a little less than a year from now. Okay. October, November of 2018. Nice. 2018. Okay. And I, that's I had to think. <laughs> hat and beard, right? That's um, World House Editions and Hat and Beard. Yeah. yeah. And so that's kind of... I mean, I am getting prison zoo completed and these other things, but this is, I need to like be working on it every day. And right. So. Well, this is a really nice <laughs> environment for, for thinking. Is, yeah. And I don't know, this is a real piece in here and it's, it's kind of a, I, it's a great studio. I am very happy here, which yeah. is the first time probably in my life that I've had an apartment that I would say that about. You're settled and feeling good. Which is a little late, but... Better, better now. That I'm, yeah, I'm not leaving. I like it here. Yeah, that's great. Well, thanks for having me over today. Well, thank you. For it was coming. great to see this stuff. It's good to talk. Um, I appreciate you coming. Thank you. Seeing the crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the crazy.
Sound and Vision was conceived, produced, recorded, edited, mastered, and facilitated by myself, Brian Alfred. You can find images that I take from the podcast sessions by going to the images page on the website soundandvisionpodcast.com. You can find even more images on the podcast Instagram feed at Sound and Vision Podcast. If you love hearing these artists speak about their life and work, please support the podcast by rating and reviewing it on iTunes. It's also available on Stitcher and Google Play. You can even donate to help support the podcast by clicking the donate button on the webpage. The introduction and accompanying music was generously provided by Michael Lovett. Michael records as Nazca Lines and also Moonlights in the band Metronomy. The bio and outro music were provided by Sean Seymour. Sean and his wife Yoshimi are a band called Lullatone based in Nagoya, Japan. Thanks to them and also Jacob Tutu and Logan Takahashi who have also lent music to the podcast. Thanks to all the listeners who share and support the podcast. All this is done by myself without funding and ads, and it really is you all who help spread the word, and you spread it well. Many thanks to all of you and all the artists for sharing their stories and time with me.